This conversation was recorded on January 9, 2016. All right, so my question is about dispensations. Dispensations, it's mm. a Bible word, you know. I do. You were recently talking about dispensations. I was. You are pointing out the fact that they are. Yeah, they are. And that we must recognize that they are, otherwise... We're bad Bible students. We're bad Bible students, and the Bible really just kind of like folds in on itself and breaks or something. But that's because of our lack of understanding. And you made a comment after explaining that you have to distinguish dispensations. Yes. But then you said that you don't necessarily have to know exactly how many there are. Like, we can argue about that. I think we can. Others are open to discussion if yeah. you want. Yeah. And they're not... Uh, I don't think there's a lot of rules about it. So I guess the question that I had for that was, well, then how many do you distinguish? Like, how many do you count and why? Okay. Well, that's a fair question. We're kind of in the middle of things, and maybe somebody that's listening is not in the middle of things. We should define what a dispensation is, find out where it is in the Bible. Yeah. It's an English word in the Bible for the Greek word economia, oikonomia, which from which we get our word economy, which, as you know, I have, uh, I have my degree in economics. I studied the dismal science yeah, for so too long. I really like this word because you studied... I studied economics, and it really actually did reach me. And one of the things about this, my study of economics in college, where I didn't do well at all in college because I was always doing the other thing that I was taking, uh, but when it came to economics, it all stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, I actually learned it, hmm. and it stuck with me. I took economics, but it didn't stick with me. Yeah. Well, see, it stuck with but me. But now as a slightly older person – it's way more interesting than it was. Yeah, that's then. the thing. It actually is an it interesting. It gets more interesting, or it has been, at least to me. Yeah. As I and, and it's become more interesting to me as, because it, what it really is is the study of, of human behavior in in their economics. Right. And a couple things happened to me in college. I was a nonconformist, and I hung around with nonconformist professors who were, for the most part, very bright guys. And at that time in the in the 70s, it was okay. I don't know how it is today, uh, but it was okay for the for the professors to fraternize with the students around their subjects. And I'm not talking about anything illicit here, although there was illicit, also illicit behavior. But I'm not talking about anything illicit here. I'm talking about uh, a certain amount of passion they had for their subject matter. And if a student showed interest, they would socialize around the subject matter to try to bring that interest, collegially bring that interest to pass and try to form meaningful seminars that weren't, you know, intense and enjoyable. And I just kind of took to that with a few professors, especially my economics professor who held his seminar, uh, my favorite economics professor, uh, who held his seminar in his home. And then we played bridge afterwards. So that really highly motivated me to be prepared for class and do well in the seminar setting so that the bridge game would go on well after. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't want to just be there for the bridge game. And so uh, economics uh, turned into the study of political economy for me, which interestingly is sort of 19th century when hardly anybody went to universities, that was the subject. 
uh, you know, in the 1800s, nah, you, you just couldn't go. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't, if you couldn't afford it, you had to be such a level of achievement that somebody wanted to sponsor you, et cetera, et cetera. I just read recently, for example, a hundred years ago, that it's very low percentage of uh, people finished high school. Very low, Some under ten percent, I believe. Wow, that is yeah. low. Yeah, we did two things to in- increase that. Number one, we mandated more school. Number two, we dumbed it down so much that it, people could graduate. Yeah, you know, lower the bar. and We, all we really have lowered the bar. And, over it. And college has really lowered the bar again even more. But anyway, the, the, the Bible word is economy or oikonomia. The, the actual Greek word is a compound word, oikonomia, yeah. which is two words, right? Oiko meaning house, oikos is a house. Yeah, like the oikoterion, the heavenly bodies. But a house... In the Greek sense, house is not a structure. It's household. Which is, what, like a group of people? Uh, yeah, family? it's a group of people, and you can get this. You can understand why this, uh, this, this is called economy, because there's a certain economy of Jared's house, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a certain economy of your house. Things go this way. We eat at this time. Uh, you get up at this time. Uh, we school in our in our home, because you do, you do, you are a homeschooling family. Right. Uh, your wife has such responsibilities. Uh, you also work at home. Yep. Uh, so because you work from your home, uh, you have other rules about dad and his accessibility and all this kind of thing, right? You've even arranged your house structurally. Yep. Uh, in certain ways, so that this is where I work, and you can't come in. Unless I let you in or whatever. I don't know how you do it. You know how you do it. You set it up. Right. Uh, because you are, you are schooling your children at home, because you do work independently from home. I think you could see this whole economy idea, right? You've got this system of things, and this is how it works. Yeah. This is how I make my living. This is how we're going to spend money. This is what we will and won't do. Uh, this is the way the children are going to uh, entertain themselves or not, and so forth. All it's like the, a miniature kingdom. Exactly. You got all these rules, and that's the next word here. You know, household rules, nomia, law, house law. House law. Yeah. And you set that up. You set up the rules for the management of your household affairs. And that is technically dispensation. Hmm. Okay. So, so you have a dispensation there at your house. Now, Paul was given a, disp- a dispensation. Uh, also translated administration. If that administration, helps. a dispensation of God's house. Because contrary to what men think, God has his household order. I say contrary to what men think, because what I see men doing is anything they please when it comes to God's household order. But in fact... The Apostle Paul said, a dispensation is committed unto me. He says that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17, verse 16, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. He woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, that is, if I do it from my own will, I have a reward, because he'd be rewarded for this great idea he has to carry out. But if against my will, or that is literally, if not my will, it's God's will, a dispensation is committed to me. It says dispensation of the gospel, but you see that's in italics. 
Right. Because it's not a dispensation of the gospel. It's a dispensation. It's committed to him. He doesn't have a choice. He's got work to do. Exactly. In that sense, it's, he's got a responsibility and a right. duty. And so we don't, we don't call the orders that a soldier gets his, uh, his will, right. his, his duty and his responsibility. So he's, got, uh, he's been given uh, the house order of God. And, of course, that house order is the church, which is his body. And if, if we understand it correctly, we don't expect the church at Jerusalem to, to do this. He's not there. Mm-hmm. So we don't expect the church, which is his body, to be flushed out and defined at the church in Jerusalem. And if we're paying pretty good attention, then we don't try to have an Acts 2.42 church or an Acts 29 church. Right. We find the church, which is his body, in the writings of the one to whom God's house order was given. So dispensation is is God's house order. Now, here's logically why you have to be dispensational to be a decent Bible student. Why? Well, number one, because you have to believe that a dispensation was given to Paul. If a dispensation was given to Paul, either there was no house order ever for God before, or there was one before and now he's given a new one. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody believes that there was an order that God had for his people before the Apostle Paul. I don't know anybody that doesn't believe that God had order for Israel, yeah. the nation of Israel. So there you go. Now now the question, so there you have two dispensations. And, of course, the apostle later, when he talks about dispensation in the book of Ephesians, he talks about the one that is to come. You're right, the dispensation. And that fir- fir- future one is called uh, the dispensation of the fullness of times. That's in the book of Ephesians. And then, by the way, when he calls the dispensation that's been given to him something, he calls it the dispensation of the grace of God. You find that in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 2. If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, uh, towards you. And then Colossians chapter 1, verse 25 where have I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you mm-hmm. to fulfill the word of God, which he equates to the mystery, and that mystery is the church, which is his body. So, okay, we could say, now this is why. I say we can argue how many, but you can't really argue, I don't think, that there are dispensations. There are. He has one. There's one to come, as he points out, and so, because one was given to him, there was one before him. So that's three. Now the only question is, is there more than that? Mm-hmm. All right? So when I work backwards from here, I say, well, okay, uh, there is the, before the church, which is his body, there was Israel. So that would be one. But God didn't start his dealings with mankind with Israel. Before there was Israel, there was Abraham. And God dealt with Abraham and Abraham's household. That's the definition of economy, Abraham's household, right? That's, that's just like we went through with Jared's household. That's the very definition of economy. Abraham had a bigger household than you. You have more kids, but he had... Well, not by the end of his days. 
by the end of his days, you're not done yet. Well, that's true. We're going to give you the chance to outnumber <laughs> I'm not at the end of my days either. No, you're not. But Keturah, can't forget about Keturah. I don't forget Keturah. Yeah. That's where Midian came from. Mm-hmm. That's where Zipporah came from. That's why people are wrong to think that Moses somehow married outside what he should have because he married out of Jethro's house. Mm. Uh, Jethro, a uh, title, a high title given by God. Yeah, anyway, let me not go down that pathway too much, but uh doesn't mean the Midianites should uh, run everything. Mm. We wouldn't have the problem of Cosby. That'd be Cosby, not Cosby. I always it's a, say Cosby. Cosby's a different problem. <laughs> Cosby brings its own problems. Yes. Uh, anyway, before Israel was Abraham, you agree with that, don't you? Uh, chronologically, yeah. There's no Israel without Abraham. Right. But God was dealing with Abraham and his household and prophesied, right, 430 years later, there would come out of his loins would, mm-hmm. would come a nation. But when I think of a house order, I think of like the laying down of the law or the rules. Of I course, of, house order means that. It means a household law. Right. So I think specifically of, you know, the law given to Moses. Okay. As a kind of a threshold event. Okay. Um, perhaps a changing of house order there. Can't just be the law because one was given to Paul and it wasn't certainly wasn't the law. No. So it's kind of the rules, you could right, say. Right, but I'm saying that seems like a very easy. Easy to see. To yeah. Out. Undeniable. So obvious. Right. You could look before it and then after it and see the. Just like I think your particular example is real easy to see a household order because you work out of your home. You've you know you're living out in the country and you know it's all farming, huh? All the farming that I do. Well, it's just that you know you need more infrastructure. You know I'm an official farmer with the state of Nebraska, right? I believe that would be probably for tax purposes. You know that that I am officially a farmer. Yeah. So yeah, I got you, that going for me. You could probably put some of your acres into the CRP or something. I probably could. In fact, the other day I was I was teaching in the book of Acts uh, where the Lord says to Saul of Tarsus, it's difficult for you to kick against the pricks, which is a, you know, a gr- farming term. Yeah, it's a farming term. Right. And I previously wasn't qualified to, to explain to, it. But oh, now, but now that was, you're a farmer, yeah. you have the background to That's talk right. about I said, goads. I can, I can officially teach you about goading and oxen. Yeah, and you're quite a farmer. And it was pretty believable, too. What exactly have you planted so far, Well, I'm, plan- I'm planting some things. Planning or planting? <laughs> I'm planning to plant. Because you're getting through your first winter pretty smoothly. I noticed you haven't been losing any weight. You're, I'm doing you're happy. Fine. I made it over to your house today. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So how's that first harvest? You haven't had your first harvest yet. Well, technically, I've had a couple harvests, just... I wasn't exactly around for them. Oh? Yeah. I just pay a fella to take care of that business for me. I see. You get a bundle of hay that way? Yeah. Is that how you pay him? You say you just take the hay? Pretty much. Uh-huh. You have a great neighbor that helps you out. I like that's You're you're living in the country neighborly fashion. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So just like, you know, your arrangement's easy to kind of show a house order because you're doing everything, you know, out of your home. It's pretty easy to see it, the law, the dispensation of the law. You know, right. They're told how to camp. 
in the wilderness that, you know, mm-hmm. Mount Sinai, the codification, the whole thing like that. It's a little dimmer when you look at Abraham. You have to see some background things. Yeah, He conducts himself according to a law that is extant in the hearts of men. Some Actually, he conducts himself some according to what is written in the Hammurabi Code. Right. So there's some things that, uh, you know, you see that. For instance, that if he died without a heir, an heir, then Eleazar. Eleazar, the head of his household, right? He had a major domo. That's a part of a. And that was a Hammurabi thing. Like in your home, right? Your wife's the major domo of your home, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You you lay down the rules, and she carries them all out and runs the place. Mm-hmm. Scripture says a wife, by the way, is supposed to be a despot in her home. Yeah. And they are. Most wives are despots in their home. My mother was definitely a despot. But we see with Abraham, you know, God's household is Abraham's household. So you're asking me what I think are dispensations. Right, and, and you're I'm saying you think Abraham— Counting them off for you. Has his own. Yeah. I think there's a dispensation when God called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees. You know, God no longer, uh, because of the eruption of Babel, which really terminated the previous dispensation, where, you know, God had a confused speech. Now God can't deal with all mankind together. He's going ha- to select an agency out of mankind to deal with the rest of the mankind. Mm. And, of course, Abraham is responsible to do, you know, worldly things. Like when the rebellion against Keter Laomor happens, there's Abraham, you know, called into battle due to the capture of Lot, and he's got to go deal with those guys and get Lot, you know, ends up redeeming both Lot and the king of Sodom. Mm -hmm. And then he has to deal with the king of Sodom, and of course, uh, we see the priesthood of God uh, present on earth in Melchizedek there. And so we see some of the elements, right, that are in God's household, like priesthood, like headship, like faith, and how, you know, how faith is expressed, how God's people are assembled, you know? Yeah. So we see all that in the, in the, in the household of Abraham and the lifetime of Abraham. So go back. So you got Abraham. I'm just writing them down here. Yeah, so we got to go back before that then, say, well, what did that come out of? Well, that came out of the order God laid down with Noah. Yeah, post-flood. Post-flood. That's a pretty clear one there. Well, that's a clear one, and now we start seeing some things like seminal events seem to terminate and create new dispensations. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the Tower of Babel, right? Terminated the Noahic dispensation right? and inaugurated the Abrahamic dispensation I say the Passover, perhaps the giving of the law on Mount Sinai was the dramatic event for the next one? Certainly, and of course the the crisis uh, was created by the enslavement of uh, Israel in in Egypt, where in came another pharaoh who knew not Joseph. The Assyrian came in, changed the favorable living conditions of the Jews in Egypt into a very unfavorable living condition, raised up the need to deliver them, and of course, climactically, the judgment of the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh in those ten plagues. So now we begin to carve out little signals, little elements 
around dispensations. Like every dispensation, we start to see that every dispensation seems to end in failure led by grave spiritual departure and may I also say the unveiling of Satan and his, his angels. So, of course, this is a very, very big topic that you're opening up here, but you want me to just count them off, so let me progress, okay? So Noah, certainly when God landed Noah on the other side of the flood year, and it's not like he maybe went anywhere at all. Yeah. Noah may not have even traveled. You know, he may have just gone up in the water and back down. But uh, when he landed, God started changing some rules, Right. One of the rules he changed was it was not going to be every man for himself anymore. He gave mankind responsibility to deal with murderers, thus the foundation of civil government. Now, you might say there was civil government before that time, or there wasn't. You, we can argue about it. But there certainly wasn't capital punishment before that time. And when we look at the time of Noah and his sons, we see that God invented capital punishment. Whosoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because man's made in God's image. So we have the introduction of capital punishment. We have the introduction of meat eating. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people... This is Genesis uh, 9. Yes, Genesis chapter 9 and verse, well, I'm I'm talking about verse 6 specifically at this time. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So if I may focus just on the two words by man, it's not up to God to directly take the life of the murderer. It's up to man to do it. You know, in order to do that, Men have to organize themselves into a government to do that. Oh, how, how's that going to happen? You know, somebody kills another person. Now they run, right? Maybe two men are working together and one gets mad at the other one. And when the victim turns his back, the, the murderer strikes a blow to his head with big stone. Mm-hmm. Hits him repeatedly, kills him, you know. Then he runs. What's going to happen? Well, certainly the relatives of the dead man, they they probably figured out pretty quickly who killed him, and now they have to go after him. And if it's every man for himself, then maybe that murder will be brought to justice, maybe not. But on the other hand, if society organizes itself, and then the brother of that guy or the father of that guy, maybe he forms a little posse. says, you know, my son was murdered by this wicked man. Let's go get him. So his neighbors and friends may say, well, I'm, I'm with you, Jim. Let's go. And they go hunt him down and execute him. Well, you have there the beginnings of human government, right? Maybe pretty soon numbers of people figure out, you know, this whole idea of you dad or brother put together a posse doesn't always work what about the guy who has no father or brother we still got to go get that guy 
we're not really good at this. Maybe we should train guys to become good at this and hire them and call him sheriff. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is how human government works, but the cornerstone of human government is to execute the murder. Now, you may want to do some other things besides execute murderers. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to punish thieves and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you've got civil government. Right. But it all starts right here. This is the beginning of civil government, the foundation of civil government. And I warn people, I go, you know, without capital punishment, you don't really have the ultimate authority vested in human government that God wants you to have. So the ultimate authority is taking a life. All right. So now I'm a little bit preaching about capital punishment. <laughs> point out it's pretty clear. It's, again, I think kind of easy to see a dispensation emerge. Yeah on the other side of the flood with Noah and his family, right? We've got the dispensation around Noah, if we want to just name names, right? Mm-hmm. Abraham. Right. Moses. We could say Jesus with Paul. Okay. So now we've got four. But what about before Noah? Was there nothing? No. There was something before Noah. There was... Cain and Abel happened, and mm-hmm. Cain wasn't supposed to be executed. Cain was given over his own lousy conscience. I call that the dispensation of Jiminy Cricket. That doesn't work anymore because— yeah, That was like 60s, wasn't it? 50s? People don't know who Jiminy Cricket is anymore. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to know. I don't even think you knew who Mixius Pitlick was, right? I did not. The Superman guy? Yeah, Superman comics, where you learn science as a kid. I think Jiminy Cricket was more pervasive than Superman comics, though. At least, yeah, because of Disney's generation. wonderful world of color exactly. on Sunday nights. Yeah, if you wanted to watch color TV, that was a good time to see it. Mm. Mostly, we watched Disney's wonderful world of color in black and white. <laughs> it wasn't until later that my dad broke down and bought the big color TV. I think one of the most undeniable and useful contrastings is when you talk about whether or not there are dispensations of course you read the verses in Ephesians and Colossians it's obvious that there are but the difference between how God dealt with Cain yeah and then what God said after the flood I mean the the exact opposites right yeah don't kill Cain and then execute murderers after the flood yeah radical change radical change yeah and why well because again here right Things fell apart. That that whole that whole don't kill Cain thing didn't work out that well because the whole earth was filled with violence mm-hmm. and the racial composition of the earth was utterly destroyed to where the only guy with a solid genealogy was Noah. You can't do that again. Things right. have to change. And and here's the thing, there's lessons, of course, in each failure of dispensation, and that is, you know, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. So we have the, you could call it the dispensation of Cain or Adam. Some people want to break off and give another dispensation to Adam and Eve in the garden, which certainly was different, right? There was no sin problem. It ended with sin. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lesson there. And that is that man in a perfect environment that is sinless still fails. So when I was a young fella, popular song we've got to get ourselves back to the garden nah that didn't work well that didn't work that's a song you don't even know who Mr. Mixius Pitlick was Back to the Garden is an album by Dean 
Evanson and Tom Barabbas. Yeah, they probably made that album named after the song. Is it called Back to the Garden? Uh, I think it might be. Uh, Back to the Garden is a 1992 tribute album to Joni Mitchell. This was done at Woodstock. Uh, oh, sorry. It was Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Uh, what's it called? Is it called Back to the Garden? Uh, Crosby. It's called Woodstock. It's called Woodstock, huh? Yeah. But the lyrics say you have to get back to the garden. See, my, my memory's fading of those days, although I had probably everything that crossed I think a lot of people who are at yet. Woodstock's memory is fading of those days, too. Yeah, I never, I was not at Woodstock. I was in high school at Woodstock when Woodstock happened, or just out. But the yes, it's a song a story by Crosby. about a spiritual journey to Max Yasker's farm, the place of the festival, and makes prominent use of religious imagery, comparing the festival place with the Garden of Eden. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. We are stardust. We are golden. We are billion-year-old carbon. Oh, goodness. We got to get ourselves back to the garden. Gag me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we can laugh at your youth music, too. Oh, I'm sure we could. It's all a little bit pathetic. I don't know why I use that classical illusion for you. <laughs> it's not, 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 the, not your best. Not your best effort. I find that most musical lyrics are incredibly disappointing. So yeah. I, I tend to just listen to the music part right. and just forget the lyrics part. Right. And in fact, I try to not get the lyrics because I'll like the music part. And then if I hear the lyrics and they're really stupid, I'll hate the music. You know, I was listening to some French music and some um, just music in other languages, you know, even like Hispanic music, um, the Gypsy Kings, for instance. You don't know any of the words that they're saying. And so their voice just becomes like another instrument. And my mom was always like, you can't listen to that. What if they're saying terrible things, you know? I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. If they're saying terrible things, <laughs> I'm graced to not hear it. Exactly. But in her mind, you're associating with the music, and it could possibly be like demon music. Well, you know what that's like is like telling a guy that meat was offered idols. Yeah. That's that's like, right? He I just agree. wrecked his conscience in the matter. He was eating just fine. He was. He was having a good time. We used to kid each other. We'd go out for steaks, you know, and... Of course, you never seems like you can never get enough steak. So we tell you, "Ah, oh, that's sacrifice to idols." I let me better eat that for you. <laughs> but uh, okay, so uh, but still, you look back there, and uh, so do you count the the Garden of Eden as a separate dispensation? Yes, I I suppose you could. Uh, do you? Do I? I used to. You're not so sure. I'm not so sure. Why I'm not that? so sure. What's changed? Something intangible? It's typically called the dispensation of innocence, and there is a lesson, and you know, there is a reformulation. It, it, it should, I guess it could be, yeah. It could be. <laughs> so you're waffling. I do waffle back and forth on that one. Yeah. I do teach it. I have no problem with it. Turns the numbers a little different. Makes this one the sixth. It's all right. Right? Because if that's the first one, yeah, and then the Canaanite like one the is the second too. one, and then the Noahic one is the third one. And the Abrahamic one's the fourth one. Right. And then... Moses is the sixth. Fifth one. Church is the sixth one. Church is the sixth one. Millennium is the seventh one. After that, it all works. The fullness of times is the eight, and that makes sense because eight's a number of new beginnings. Right. And the seventh, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Seventh day, day of rest. 
this is the sixth, this man's day, that kind of makes sense. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense as the day of grace is the day of law. That one right. kind of just doesn't. Except for that it's, you know, the law always did say grace, grace to it. You know, there still was the grace of God was in the law. Mm-hmm. You needed the grace of God. The law was there to show you needed the grace of God. But this one, the apostle calls the dispensation of grace. Let me not push the Bible numeric so hard right. as to miss the grand outline of the dispensation. That, and then here, Jared, is why I think that dispensationalism is so very important. But to understand the dispensations is so very important is because in the description of this, look, we've done an overview of the whole Bible here in this short show in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And it imparts an outline, right? This is part of the great impartation of the outline that the Apostle Paul says is so extremely important that to, to, to impart an outline. Yeah. And so until an outline is imparted from one man to another through teaching of the Scripture, and now you have somewhere to put things, and you're org- you have an organization that, that's fitting across the whole Bible, how are you going to be able to handle all Scripture if you don't have somewhere to put them? Mm-hmm. So now you have this broad outline that is marked by order. And so now, because you have a broad outline, you are capable of doing what the Apostle Paul prayed the Philippians would do, which is to distinguish the things that are different, right? So we can compare one dispensation. They say, look, oh, look, this is different. Look, in that dispensation, Cain was not to be executed. In this dispensation... Came to be executed. See that difference, and 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 so now you'll be able to do what what the apostle Paul did said, which is to be able to not just look at sameness, because you look at the sameness, you go notice there's a rise in satanic activity right before dispensations change, and it's the same every time. Look at that every time, you know. The dispensation of the law really, you might say, it was terminated when Judah, when when Satan entered into Judah. You know, Satan actually took a body for him, took a man. Mm-hmm. You might say, you might say that. And of course, as uh, one, he said, well, what about these transition periods between dispensations? Do you call those little mini dispensations? Well, it doesn't matter what you call them. Mm-hmm. But you kind of notice that, yeah, there are these transitionary periods that are sometimes extremely interesting. Right. Sometimes long, sometimes short. Sometimes long, sometimes short. Uh, you, one might say that the, the transition period between the dispensation of the law and the dispensation of the grace of God given to Paul, maybe that was 50 years. Yeah. Maybe the transition began with Jesus Christ's earthly ministry where he told Peter upon this rock I will build my church that's first reference to the word church yeah i always think that the dispensation of the law ended at the cross because it says that he nailed it to the cross right so i mean that's the same time but even that there. termination right that's the whole three and a half years of his ministry marked you know mm-hmm. transition and a you know a termination a fulfilling and a termination of its hold mm-hmm but because the whole of the law ended. But then you don't have clarity about the next age until Paul's work is done. Yeah, until 50 years later, 30 years later. Right. And so, yeah, now, now th- therefore, you, you even see that church in transition, right? You see the Jewish church of uh, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. all Jews. 
and their hope that this whole dispensation would be skipped and the millennium would begin. Their failure to know it, and it wasn't just their failure, their, their inability, their true inability to know of this period. Yeah. God kept it from them. They couldn't both know that this period would, would happen and believe mm. that if all Israel would be saved, that the kingdom would be set up and they'd transition smoothly into the millennium. So they really couldn't know this. There are all kinds of things, by the way, that, you know, some people go like, well, God has to fool people. There are all kinds of things that you can't know in order to do what you need to do. And you can't know. If you knew from the moment of your birth, the day of your death, you would act differently in so many ways. Oh, yeah. There's lots of movies about that. Are there? It just seems like a common theme. Open theme. My wife loves time travel movies. Really? Yeah. They always break down. They have to break down because, you know, you can't go back. <laughs> right. But uh, it's it's good when they don't break down much. Yeah. No, time travel movies, when done well, are very, very enjoyable. It's just very difficult to keep that continuity, you know. Book of Revelations, a time travel movie. Just waiting to be unfolded. Well, he, John, John traveled in time. Yeah. There are a lot of people that deny that. Well, it was just, it was Sunday. He was raised up on Yeah, Sunday. he was in spirit on Lord's Day. The big argument is, was it Saturday or was it Sunday? Right. So one last question. We're talking about transitions. And I think, I, I think we've discussed this recently, but... When we talk about the day of Jacob's trouble, when we talk about the end of the church age and the, or the you know the dispensation of the church, which is his body, and the beginning of the millennial kingdom, and you know you can nitpick on transitions and whether they're their own little dispensations, but I tend to attach them to one or the other and say, well, we're going through. Well, is there a whole dispensation of the of the tribulation yeah, period, the and final seven years? It's pretty different. <laughs> it's pretty different when God turns back to Israel and the church is taken out. And uh, or could it be a continuation of uh, the of Moses' time period? As it's, it's not. It's not. Well, it's not really because God turns the hundred forty four thousand. Right. You don't see anything quite like that in the dispensation of the law. No. So it can be given its own. I mean, sure, you can say it's its own dispensation, a very short one. Or you could call it a transition, transitional thing. But you have to see the elements of it, right? The elements are the 144,000, the two prophets, the seven years that get broken in half, the rise of the man of sin, mm. the abomination of desolation. Yeah. The throwing and the hurling down of Satan out of the heavens to the earth. Certainly well, a big piece, well, the second fall. If, if we go back to... What you know, what we've have been talked about with Moses and you know the age of God's law. If we just recast that as as the house order of Israel, okay, then we look forward to the day of Jacob's trouble. We see the two prophets, possibly Moses and Elijah. Well, you might just take that little thread between the two and yeah. talk about the uh, remnant according to grace, mm -hmm. and thread them together that way, right through this dispensation, right. But go ahead. No, I just think that if you think about it like that as opposed to think about it as law, um, it seems to attach them more tightly. The Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial system. Yeah, the taking back up of which Israel. Which even continues on mm -hmm. in the millennium. 
True. Reconstituted. New temple. So I think what you're doing there, as opposed to maybe breaking out dispensations, is just tracking God's purpose in Israel. Mm-hmm. True. I'll, I would say that, you know, you break these periods out, I won't say it solves every problem, makes everything clean. It's not intended to do that. Mm-hmm. But you are to see that, you know, God has a house order that he that he alters. As one man put it, you know, God reacts to man's defections. Now, to, to even talk about God reacting, of course, is to anthropomorphize God because when you're timeless and omniscient, the word reaction actually breaks down. But we do see that God, as he orders history around our Lord Jesus Christ, which the book of Hebrew teaches us, is demonstrating broadly to all humanity our failure. That's what dispensations actually show. They show the failure of man in every dispensation, that every, no matter what the conditions are, no matter what the rules are, uh, no matter what the house order happens to be in the state of man, he needs a savior mm-hmm. every time. Even in the coming millennium, where Jesus Christ personally reigns with a rod of iron, and many of us enter into that sinless, in unable to sin, will be in the heavenly places, and others enter in triumphantly here from below, all, all believing at, at the beginning, and yet at the end of it, when Satan is loosed, with Satan bound in under chains for a thousand years, men will still sin. Men will still sin. They'll be executed, right? Mm-hmm. Their childhood will last a hundred years, so plenty of time to learn to be responsible. Men will still be sinners, and they'll be executed on the spot. And still at the end, with Jesus Christ visibly ruling from the heavens and the earth for a whole thousand years, when Satan is loose, he'll still have plenty. He'll have millions and millions of people that he'll deceive into warring against Jesus Christ, visibly ruling, and he'll be crushed. Mm. So we have... Nothing but the consummate failure of man to look forward to. Well, let's uh, let's close with the dispensation of the fullness of times, which Paul uh, mentions in, in one ten. Um, perhaps the only dispensation that won't end in man's failure. Um, the fullness of times is that I, I look at that as like you know the age of the ages. Like that's the one that doesn't end. That's the one that just going to keep on rolling on. Yes. Um, and it says that during that time he would gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. I think elsewhere it says that God would be all in all. I'm kind of not sure. God will be all in all. What's that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Me neither. It seems to be like the like a it seems to be like the ultimate statement of bliss. Yeah. Like really it's like the up. ultimate the you know words beggar so we get a phrase like that you know because it is so sublime that words can't actually be found mm. and um when we don't know when that happens that isn't to say that happens to me i mean i don't necessarily 
think that happens, you know, after the exact immediately after the 1000 year reign of our Lord Jesus. I mean, he, he can certainly is it okay to say God can take his time to do that? The best description of that, I think, is uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, where it uh, we could start with uh, verse 22, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming, then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Then even though there's long life in the coming millennium, they're gonna, there's going to be death. Mm-hmm. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But we, when he said all things are put under him, it is clear that he is accepted, which did put all things under him, that is God. Mm-hmm. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Yeah. Now, there you have it, God all in all. Now, what is that? That we get to see what that is. We get to see what that looks like. We'll be around for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that the focus that we have is not there. I, you know, that seems to be like the distant horizon. Yeah. That you know keeps moving away from me as you move through time because we're just not focused on that. We're to be focused on, you know, the judgment seat of Christ and the abundant entrance into the coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus. And I think after we've been in that for a thousand years, things will open up to us. I think the scriptures will open up to us in ways we haven't even imagined yet. Uh, some have some have even speculated, well, will there be more scriptures? Yeah. Hmm. So, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 